the majority of the population, you know, is using apps either on smartphones, TVs, or websites. But that unadulterated feedback is likely going to come because they're they're not as invested in terms of the design or the implementation of it. They're just going to give you that raw feedback of like, I don't understand it or I really love it. Hello, and you are listening to the Product Builders Podcast. In each episode, your hosts, Sean O'Shea and Mark Garcia of Majestic Apps, speak with some of today's leading product builders. We dive into their stories and tactical lessons that you can use when building digital products. This episode is brought to you by Majestic Apps. We imagine, design, and build digital products. Ready to create something amazing? Contact us at MajesticApps.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Product Builders Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Garcia. Today, I'm very excited as we are here with Sean Murphy, who is the Director of Product at iHeartMedia. He is a product leader with deep experience in data-informed product roadmapping and development, and also has a customer-first approach to driving business growth and success. Sean, thanks so much for being here. It's already October. This year is really flying by. How has 2022 been treating you? Good. And thank you for having me. 2022 definitely uh, has flown by. We're heading into end of the year and everyone's looking to get their roadmaps, finish up the things they wanted to. Our big things are still ahead of us at iHeart around the holidays with Christmas and things like that. That's peak time for us. So excited. So very relevant conversation to be having at this time of year. I've given a brief introduction about who you are already, but I'd love to get things going by having you introduce yourself, talking a little bit about what you do. So I'm Sean Murphy. I'm originally from Syracuse, New York. I went to school a little bit south of there in Ithaca, New York, and I studied television and radio. Shortly after that, like most people with a background like that, I was deciding between the move to LA or to New York City. I landed in New York, and this was sort of around the time when digital internet, all of that was still sort of in its infancy. I started off working in more event production, things like that. But I was also exposed to a lot of things in the digital world just due to the newness of a lot of it. So I was working at MTV and Nickelodeon for a while. Eventually, I I went into being a digital producer, did the project management on a lot of things. But just because I was exposed to a lot of different things, I was able to try out a lot of things and figure out what I was good at, what I liked. And eventually, that led me to product management. So I've I'm now at iHeart, like you said. So I've been on the iHeart team for about two and a half years now. I'm on the product innovation team, and I oversee the product teams that focus on our audio apps in the connected television space. Awesome. And I feel like our heart media and iHeart Radio is a pretty ubiquitous brand that a lot of people have heard of already or are familiar with at the very least. But for those who might not be familiar with iHeart, could you tell us a little bit more about the parent organization as a whole, as a company? So I think a lot of people probably, when they hear iHeartRadio or iHeart in general, they think of the festivals, the, the concerts, events, things like that, or equate it with listening to radio stations in their car or anywhere they actually have a radio. But iHeart spans radio. We're one of the, the biggest podcast publishers. So our audio products, it spans from if you want to listen to a local radio station, a radio station from where you used to live, podcasts. We have curated music playlists, either that's something that you may have created on your own, or it could be something that our programming teams have created. We have iHeart local stations, and then we have iHeart.com. So you can listen in your local market, or you can access those on iHeart.com. We also have available on smart speakers, mobile apps. So pretty much anywhere you can listen to music or podcasting, you can find iHeart. Yeah, I think my first introduction to iHeart was, you know, I'd grown up, I used to 
drive a lot and go to school in the car and even getting ready for school and college. I had a radio. I had a favorite radio station. I'm also based in New York, New Jersey. So you might have listened to uh, Z100 as well. It became part of my morning routine. And once I moved to New York, got rid of the need for a car, I, I said, well, how can I listen to my favorite radio station in the morning? Or how can I get that content not having a radio or being in a car which had the radio? So that was my first introduction to iHeart and being able to listen to my favorite shows through that platform. And so you are the director of products for iHeart. Can you talk a little bit about what that role actually entails and what your day-to-day might look like? So like I said, I'm on the product innovation team and I oversee the teams that focus on our audio experience on connected TVs. So in terms of day-to-day, you know, we are trying to grow our audience, increase our engagement, looking at those cross-platform features, whether it's how do you get somebody who is listening on their mobile app sitting next to their TV they can also listen on their TV, getting users who are listening to, like you said, uh, that Z100, where that's your association with iHeart. How do we get those people who listen to Z100 to know that we also have tons of podcasts or that we have music that could be either a playlist or like if it's a artist that you heard on Z100 and you want to hear music like that, you know, going and listening to like an artist station, you can say, I want to listen to Doja Cat and it's going to be music by her, by similar artists. So really, you know, our day-to-day is no different than any other product team. It's you know, trying to figure out what your users are looking for and help solve problems and get them the content that they're looking for. So like I said, we focus on the audio experience on a connected TV device. So that could be either on our own apps, but also we have what are called FAST apps. So FAST stands for Free Ad Supported Streaming Television. So we are available on the Roku channel or Zumo. So those would be our some of our radio programming available in an actual like old school cable TV type model where you know, you're flipping through channels and going from a sports game through news and then you see iHeart stations. That's awesome. And I'm going to dive into developing product for CTV. For me, that's really interesting because it's not something I necessarily do or a platform that I'm familiar with outside of just consuming content on TV. But before I dive into that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your career path. How did you get from um, what you may have studied into working for and working for product within the CTV space? Like I said, I have a background in television and radio. So when I post-college, when I first started looking for jobs, I was looking for you know, production companies. And what I was working on was it was mostly like either events or creating digital promos, things like that. So when I first started, I was on a production team on MTV International. So our teams put together the MTV Europe Music Awards, the Kids' Choice Awards for all the international markets. So a lot of it was setting up websites, setting up working on the marketing, the the promos, things like that. So a lot of it was just making sure that all the right assets were completed on time. And through working at MTV and Nickelodeon, I started getting more exposed to kind of like the, the requirements of how do you set up a website? How do you make sure that people can find the right content that they're looking for? How do you, you know, if you're talking about a 30 second, one minute video ad, how do you create a, an experience so that when that video ends, it goes to something else instead of just having a dead experience? So that was really when I started learning more about information architecture, UX, things like that. And going from more of the, the creative mindset where I was sometimes either writing promo copy or writing news articles, thinking of like, how do I get more people to read the things that I wrote? And then thinking about like, you know, just overall performance and growth. So initially, the, the products that I was... Not necessarily a product owner, but I was working on CMSs, things like that. Like, how do you create content easily and get it localized for up to 31 different local languages, whether that's a video or 
news content or anything you know, just that is written. So reading through those requirements and because it's it was in events, like you had to do that once every year. So you're you're taking the site that you built last year and, and redoing it. So so those were the the first times that I was really exposed to like what product management was. And then after working at MTV and Nickelodeon, I then went to a digital agency. I worked at Barrel for a few years. So I was working on e-com sites, helping people either go through a redesign, a replatform. You know, if you if you started a website and you had sort of reached your peak of like what you could do on that WordPress site that you built yourself, we had engineering teams who could take that content that you wrote and set it up in a website that's sustainable and wasn't going to be something where you know you were running into technical problems all the time. So if, yeah, I did that for a couple of years. You know, it was still much more on the project management side, but it was also when I started doing some volunteer work. It's now defunct, but it, it was called social effort. So we were trying to build a product that would basically take, if you were looking to volunteer your time, we were trying to connect you with the causes that you know were either local to you or either it was a nonprofit that represented something that was a cause you wanted to donate your time to. That time around then was really when I started moving away from project management and being a producer into product management. Shortly after that, I was working at AMC. So going back to entertainment media and video streaming, then moved from video streaming into audio streaming. Sounds like you had a very diverse background that kind of got you to where you are today working within that CTV space. And it's not too dissimilar from what I've done working in product, right? You start with design or creative and then working into the web and learning about information architecture and user experience. So I'm curious to know what it was like transitioning into the CTV space. So similar in terms of creating user experiences, but it is a bit of a different experience than being on a phone or a computer. How was that transition going from kind of more traditional mediums and platforms to uh, television? Yeah, I think obviously, regardless of any platform that you're working on, you know, you're going to have to figure out the, the nuances of that specific platform. But for the most part, you know, a lot of the, the process in terms of how you approach a product or how you approach the design for it or the, the user experience, it's pretty similar. So the, the big difference is I would say working on connected television is obviously it's a much more lean back versus a lean in experience. And when you are designing, you have to make sure that it's something that somebody can see when they're sitting 10, 15 feet away from it. When you're looking at the designs of it, you're looking at a laptop typically and you know, it's it inches away from your face. Whereas when that's, it might be bigger, but it's going to be further away. So you have to make sure that the things can be read a little more easily. And then the other things that I would say would be different is just, you know, the touch on a mobile phone or the click on a, on a website. You have to find a way to translate that into a remote and remotes are not, it's not a one size fits all. So you have to make sure that from the design of the app, that it's clear what a user can do. So those were some of the, the big differences, but then also kind of how you validate those things. There's fewer tools for like heat mapping and things like that on a TV that you could do with a mobile website or a mobile app. So sometimes, you know, when you want to get feedback on something before you release it, that might mean you're putting something on a prototype and either giving people some context of like, how do you install this? Like on a, on a build that is not released to the public. So sometimes you have to give those instructions on how to download it. But in general, you know, I would say most of the TV apps that I've worked on, we would, it's a little harder now that after the pandemic and not necessarily going to an office on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, we used to have QA labs where like it would sort of be like your living room. You know, you would have a TV and you could have multiple people sort of stand around that TV and either try to figure something out and you just, you're 
kind of watching them see how they interact with something. Sometimes you might need to give them prompts to see what choice they might make. But some of the the first things that I realized like where it's like it's much more of a communal experience when you're trying to get feedback of what that user journey might look like. You touched on a lot of different points that I want to dive into. I had all these questions that you started going into. So first and foremost, talking about designing products and features, I love that you're calling it like a lean back experience versus lean in experience, because that's very much so the experience of watching TV and thinking about design. You talked about having design from like this 10 foot view versus being like really up close. Are there any other, I guess, challenges that you have to think about in TV that aren't necessarily present with traditional, say, mobile or web design? Sort of the 10 foot view is something you mentioned, like working with remote and that experience. Can you speak a little bit more about kind of the unique challenges of the things that have to be taken into account at this level of interaction? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would say those was an actually another one is also the, sort of the how do you get a user into that ecosystem? If you think about most, whether it's a, a media app, a banking app, or a website, there's usually push notifications or in-app messages, things like that. So that if something is timely or something is personalized for that specific user based on something that they may have done where you know, you either we might think you want to watch something else similar or listen to something, we think you might want to listen to something similar. Those don't really exist as much for for a TV, you know, you can't you can't send an email to somebody's TV. So the things that you know you have to think about is if somebody does see that email, like how do you make it easy so that when they do go to their TV, they remember what that email said and it's intuitive for them to figure out how to find it. So that typically just goes into like good UX of you know what your navigation system is, what your search engines are like, you know, so that if somebody is typing something into a, a remote or speaking into a, a microphone in the remote. That you know, what they're looking for is easy to find and they're not endlessly scrolling through things that maybe they're interested in, but not interested in for that moment right there. That's really interesting. And it's something I never actually thought about is how do you get people into that device? It's not as natural as a, a push notification to your phone. Even myself, I feel I get emails from, let's say, Netflix prompting me to watch my next favorite show. And obviously, it will automatically launch me into my web browser or my phone wherever I open that up. But that's a really interesting use case of how do you get people actually onto that device that it's intended for. And you had mentioned earlier how television is really inherently such a communal experience. It's a communal device. It's meant for individuals as well as multiple people to be kind of interacting with and sitting around with. I'm curious to know how that plays into the work that you do and what kind of, I guess, on all levels in terms of user testing or validation, how do you have to take that into account when you come up with new features or work on products and platforms? So I would say that sometimes the starting point is like you're, you might have to, before you start designing things, is work closer with your research teams just to make sure that your assumptions, that the way you want to design, that you're thinking about is somebody looking to find something on somebody else's device? Is somebody trying to log into something where maybe there's somebody else is already logged in? And so that's when you, th you can think about multiple profiles or the other thing would be in terms of specific content. So say you want to watch a, or you want to listen to a podcast. Your podcast interest might not be the same as mine. So sometimes it's just making sure that if it's a personalized list, you can find that personalized list. But also if it's sort of making it easier for somebody to go down that path of finding something like whether sometimes we call it a warm start where it's not like you're not starting cold. It's if you 
if you know you're looking for something, it's you and, and your family, making sure that that family content is easily found. You can have on our CTV apps, we have a kids and family tab that is all that content. So that, that way, if it is a communal experience, you can make sure that that content that you're playing is appropriate for the audience. Sometimes just even, you know, kind of labels of things, you know, where it's explicit content, something like that, where you might be signed into your, your account. You might just want to make sure that if you are in that communal experience, there's going to be a song coming up on your playlist that is something you might not want somebody else to hear. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to go back to another point that you had made previously when you talked about, I believe you said something about if a user's got a phone and they're near a TV device, you can prompt them to listen on their TV. Is that correct? Yeah. So we use a feature. It's with a company called Visby TV. So essentially what it does is we started implementing this early on in the pandemic. You know, it was obviously a time when a lot of people were in their homes and they were, they were going to their TVs because they were in those communal spaces. Or in many cases, your TV might be the best sound system you have, or it's hooked up to the best sound system you have, or it's right there. It's there were also people who were still using their mobile phones. So the technology we use with Bisbee, it, essentially, if you are listening to your music on your home Wi-Fi, it will let you know that, like, hey, we, we see that you also have a device on that same Wi-Fi network. Would you prefer to listen there? Because we want to make it seamless. This allows you to make that decision, but also it will install and authenticate you into your iHeart account for you so that you don't have to go download something, like find it in a store, download it, figure out how to sign in. So it does that seamlessly and allows you to either use your phone as a remote where you are picking what podcast you want to listen to. But then if you decide you're going to walk out the door, you can listen to your podcast, get in your car, connect it to your Bluetooth there. It allows you to, regardless of where you might be listening, allows you to take that single experience from either room to room or device to device. That's really cool. And that almost goes back to uh, what we were saying earlier about bridging the gap between mobile devices and those push notifications and then getting you onto a TV platform and device. So that's really cool in terms of the technology and capabilities out there. But when we think about TVs now, they're so intricately tied to their platforms. Like you mentioned, this kind of tie back to your mobile phone. I'm curious to know how much you have to consider other connected devices in the work that you do in terms of whether it be mobile phones or smart speakers, how much of that plays a role in the product that you work on and how much of that do you have to take into consideration? Yeah, I think it always should come into consideration. Obviously, each, each listener is going to be unique in terms of their, their specific habits and the setup of how they want to listen, where they want to listen. But it doesn't mean that it's always going to stay that way. So you want to make sure that if whether it's around the holidays, somebody gets a new device, whether that's a, a smart speaker, a CTV, something that you can plug in your television that has smart speaker capabilities, you, you want to make sure that it's easy for a user and that they don't have to think like, okay, I used to do it this way. Like, how do I connect those systems? If it's something that somebody was able to do on another platform, you want to make sure that there's as little kind of figured out on your own as possible. And so sometimes... That might mean you know you're you're helping a user sign in to their account because you know you know that they were already signed in and they had this you know library of content that they want to access. Sometimes it's letting them know that that they aren't signed in and that they are trying to find that content. You help them sign in easily. But back to what you were talking about in terms of the depending on other devices, 
like we said earlier, that one of the bigger things with a TV is the remote. And anyone who has ever tried to watch something, listen to something on a TV knows that typing your email address and your password in a remote control can be a little harder to do. The other thing is sometimes it might not be your account. It could be your roommate's account. It could be your significant other's account. It could be your parent's account. So sometimes you want to make sure that that... Well, not sometimes, all times you want to make sure that that's as easy as possible, as, as frictionless as possible. But that's why you, know, you also have to sometimes depend on either letting somebody go to a website or go to their mobile app so that, so that those accounts can sort of talk to one another and connect to one another. Similar to your smart speakers, where if you're used to using a, a voice command to find the station that you want to listen to, you want to make sure that if that TV has a similar... I want to say the names because I'm going to have all the, the speakers going off in my, <laughs> in my house. If you use that voice command, you want to make sure that if your TV supports it, that that's something that when a user does want to use that, that it's easy and that it's not the friction that is turning them away from using that. That makes a lot of sense. I believe everyone can connect to that pain point of logging into a uh, streaming network onto a TV and whether you have a long password or a long email, how much of a, a pain it is. Sometimes even remembering, wait, what is my password? I forgot. And you don't want to get locked out. <laughs> yeah. Or if you, uh, if you do it wrong one time and you have to do it multiple times, it's just such a pain. I actually recently invested in my own smart TV and the, the tech now is just really cool. And just there's, they've made so much progress in terms of connecting devices and making things easier for the users. So it's really just cool to see how the whole ecosystem, as you called it, really goes into a single device and the different touch points that a user might be interacting with just for this one experience. So I know you had mentioned this as well previously, the pandemic affecting the way people were consuming content. And I believe you had mentioned that you found more people were kind of using the t television as a communal device and kind of listening together. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, obviously, with everyone being inside, you know, there was just sort of a change in terms of how they might be listening to content or even in many cases, listening to different content, similar to what we had talked about with you know, kids and family content, because it was a communal experience. A lot of people were looking for, how do I put something on for my kid? You know, sometimes it was parents trying to work from home while keeping their kids occupied in another room. But so during that time, you know, we saw that there was you know, a huge influx of people coming to, coming to their TVs to, to listen to radio, podcasts, curated music, pretty much everything across the board. And so with that, we made some changes on our apps trying to maximize like what sort of experience we could give users. So one of the things we, we developed during that time, it was very much an MVP early on. And then we iterated several times. It started off and we just called it Visual Playlists. And then it's now turned into its own feature called Soundscapes. But if you look at many TVs, whether it's a screensaver or you know, there are some TVs where you know, they'll have kind of like these rotating, beautiful artwork, visuals, things like that, where it's making your TV almost part of the furniture. So one of our tests you know, that we did during that time period was putting those visuals, instead of just having the, the huge album artwork of what you were listening to, we started curating images so that the content you were listening to matched a visual, whatever that mood you might be looking for. Audio-wise, we were trying to match that visually. And we saw that users, they were definitely interested in that. You know, more people were coming back. They were listening for longer sessions. So we started taking that just from that first MVP of like, how do you get something out there that gets you enough data to sort of make your decision? Based on that, we realized that this was something that could be scalable and go to more content. It could be something that was done for seasonal content. It could be something for evergreen content. And it could go from the first ones we did were for 
a small subset of playlists. And we've since put them on some of our digital genre stations. So iHeart 80s, iHeart Christmas, iHeart Country, Alt Radio, as well as some of the, the specific playlists, things like that. So essentially, we've created a new feature where you can go to your TV, look for content that is either visually going to match what you want to see and give you audio to match that experience, or we're highlighting the experience by giving you something on your TV that is making your TV into you know, more of like a almost like beautiful artwork on your TV. That's really cool. And I love, I mean, I see that myself on my television when it does play the backgrounds or animations or videos that are connected to any type of content or music I'm playing and it matches that genre. So that's really cool. And that really leads me into my next question and topic of this idea of product innovation. As someone who works in like the web and mobile space, I have a very clear understanding of what product innovation looks like for those types of devices. For CTV, is it different or do you go through the same process or the things that you have to look at a little bit differently considering how people are interacting with that platform? I think it's probably the same, the same mindset no matter what specific platform. One of the things, you know, anytime I've spoken to somebody like, oh, I've never worked on TV, usually I'll always say like at one point I said the same thing. I didn't work in TV until I did. But in terms of innovation, you know, it's innovation doesn't always have to be like these major shifts in like disruption or technology. You know, sometimes it's just kind of a mindset approach of how you are going to try different things out. Sometimes that innovation could be where you're meeting your customers. If you look at some of the things that iHeart has done most recently, we've launched a few projects or products in the metaverse. So like Roblox and iHeartland on Fortnite. Those are things that I didn't work on, but yeah, those are definitely in the, the space of innovation where it's previously those didn't exist for users to go to. So those experiences I think are where you'll see a lot of innovation start to go where it's entertainment in general is going in that direction. But overall innovation, I think it could be, like I said, the where you're meeting your audience, like those two examples right there, it could be how you are helping users find other devices to listen to. So similar to what I talked about, how we use this technology with Visby, where we're helping a user get to another platform and, and have a, a different experience. You know, sometimes it could be how you are monetizing a certain platform. Sometimes it's adding additional content that you might not have previously had. So in general, I think innovation, it's sort of just always being willing to try different things out, not being afraid to fail. We don't always hit home runs off the bat. Sometimes you have to fail repeatedly to get those things on. That's, that's what I think really it comes down to. It's not necessarily the, the innovation on a TV is going to be different than the innovation on a mobile device. Because I think in general, those platforms are always going to need to speak to one another. I think it's really just trying to figure out how do you approach something new and different. That's great. And I love what you just said in terms of innovation doesn't mean you're necessarily disrupting an entire industry or an entire experience, but it's more of meeting a user where they are and kind of connecting their devices. And so I love that thought. And I agree. I think when people hear innovation, they automatically assume, oh, we've, we have to disrupt the space to be considered innovative. And that's in my opinion as well, not true. I think innovation can happen in a lot of ways. And depending on the industry, it can be small or it can be big. And what do they say? Good design is invisible. So sometimes that innovation is making that login experience on the television a lot simpler than it's been for previous years. Sometimes I think that the first pass of something like where that innovation happens is like you said, it's, it might go unnoticed. And that's really multiple iterations later is really where you might see that huge disruption or like kind of mass audience. A few years ago when I was working at AMC, we we launched was then AMC Premiere, but is now AMC Plus. And you know, initially that was just a lot of feedback of, hey, I don't want to watch ads. So it was giving your 
cable users the opportunity to pay a little bit more to not have to watch ads. Eventually, that turned into being able to find them earlier, being able to download them and watch them without Wi-Fi. But eventually, now there's all sorts of TV streaming where there's pluses on the Disney Plus, the Discovery Plus, AMC Plus, where it's you don't even need to have cable. So initially, that it was you know it started there where it was just using that cable audience, but the innovation to drop the cable part wouldn't have happened with, without some of those other parts where it's like you start with that small, small change. I know you mentioned this earlier, but if you could speak a little bit more about how you validate some of these new products and features. I know with a phone and websites, you've got easier platforms to help with like heat mapping and eye tracking. When you're talking about a TV experience, how do you validate? Is it, I believe you mentioned doing like a workshop or something that you have to just kind of get someone in a room in front of a TV to test things out? How does that look like? There's a few different ways. Obviously, sometimes the best way to sort of validate something is before you even design something or develop it. And sometimes we've worked with our research teams to have focus groups or, you know, where they're eliciting information from this group, like asking questions and and getting them to sort of explain how they currently do something or what their pain points might be. So that's that's one of the the ways you can sort of validate what your hypothesis is. Other ways could just be with A-B testing, where you're releasing something to a smaller subset of users. That way, you know, you can validate is the execution of what your hypothesis, is that working? Sometimes you might have a good idea, but maybe you are missing one small piece of information and you run these A-B tests where everyone in this group, in group A, might be getting something where it's already out in existence and then everyone in group B would have like that small change. So sometimes seeing the data coming through in that group B, like you might realize like, okay, like now we see something different and it requires a couple small changes. So that way you're you're at least you're able to monitor something before you completely roll it out and continue to refine and make changes. But yeah, sometimes it is, you know, you're sitting around a TV with a group of people and you're you're handing the remote over to them. One of the best things that I think you can do as a product manager or a product designer is getting feedback from somebody who doesn't work on your products. They're not going to be Obviously, we all should be very familiar with the products that we work on, but sometimes that makes us sort of the the expert in a good sense, but also the expert in a bad sense where like you know how to find stuff super quickly. You know how to don't have to think about something like it's it's second nature where that's not gonna be the case for everyone. So sometimes if you have somebody who works for your organization, but maybe not on the products themselves, they're interested and they want to help, but it's not gonna be as intuitive. Obviously, they know how to use apps because it's something that's I would say the majority of the population, you know is using apps either on smartphones, TVs, or websites. But that unadulterated feedback is likely going to come because they're, they're not as invested in terms of the design or the implementation of it. They're just going to give you that raw feedback of like, I don't understand it or I really love it. Yeah, and I, I believe the same goes for traditional mobile and web design in terms of testing your own products. I obviously can build products and I'm very familiar with them and want to go through things. I know exactly what I want to do and how it should function. Uh, but of course, how something should function as you test things, you'll find users never use it the same way that you design it, or they're just going roundabout ways of what you've designed. And so that's just, uh, I feel your pain there. And I understand just what goes into testing functionality or feature or flow that you've kind of implemented. Another question you had mentioned and said that you didn't get into television until you got into television. I guess for other designers and product designers who do want to get that experience in, the TV device and designing for that platform. Can you give a a few bits of advice for how they can get started there and what they should start learning on or practicing on 
to kind of launch their careers in that area. I think that obviously because I was working in video streaming when I started working on TV, it was a bit seamless for me, you know, going from working on one video streaming mobile app into into the the CTV one. But for anyone who is looking to, you know, go from mobile apps to CTV apps, I would say you know, the, the biggest thing you can do is start figuring out like at whatever organization you are working at, you know, are there those opportunities? Is it, you know, you are working on a mobile app, but there is a CTV app. I've yet to meet a product manager who says that they're good. They don't need any help on anything. I think most people are like, sure, I I could use the help. So if it's either shadowing somebody or sitting with a designer to figure out how they approach something like before it makes its way to an engineering team, like I said, like you could be that person who is volunteering, like, hey, I want to be in in those feedback groups that those meeting points are probably going to be where you're exposed to some of the things that you need to think about. But also, I would say, don't be afraid, raise your hand, be like, I can do this, you know. If you've worked on any product, whether it's either a website, a mobile app, a smart speaker, something that doesn't have a visual design, or really any any platform, you've already started to think about like how does a user approach this device, and you know you should already be used to taking sort of product requirements and working with the team on how you would launch something, iterate something. But also, you're going to be used to trying to figure out like what is it that a user wants, and that could come in many forms. That could be you're actually looking at reviews where you're saying like, hey this is what users are saying that they don't like or what they do like. And think about if you had to launch a new feature, like what would that be? But also the one thing that I think I would say for in terms of if you don't have access to either the reviews or things like that, anyone can be a customer. Think of yourself as a customer first. Like what would you want on something? You know, do a competitive analysis. Like if you want to work in TV, like what are the features on TVs that you like don't like and start from there so that when that opportunity does arise for you, you're thinking through like more of the similarities. Like I already know how to do competitive audits. I know how to work with a designer. I know how to work with a developer because the differences are smaller. It's, you know, just it's minor approaches to how you'll do something as opposed to like fundamental, like CTV product managers do this, mobile and web product managers do that. That's really great advice. And I even I can take walk away with some great points that I can use myself there. But we are coming towards the end of our time today. I know we've covered a lot in this conversation. So before we wrap things up, I'd love if you could share what we call our majestic bite or the key takeaway our audience can walk away with from today's talk. The most important things, and you know, this doesn't even need to be for the product world, but you know, just in terms of like careers in general, I think some of the best advice I ever received early on in my career was making sure that you know the difference between your manager, your advocate, your mentor, and sort of that coworker slash confidant. And at first, you know, I, I was like, I, I had never th- thought of that. But I think one, you should have all of those. Sometimes it's going to be this, somebody might be the same. But the part you need to realize is your manager could be your mentor. It's not always going to be the case. But your manager is going to be the person who's going to help you figure out how to get your work done. They're going to they're help you succeed in your job. At least they should be doing that. Your advocate doesn't even have to be on your team. It's somebody that could be in another department, could be somebody who is on your team. But you know, if you if you go back to your example of like how does somebody work in CTV, your advocate could be that person where it's like, yes, they haven't worked on a CTV app before, but I think very highly of this person. And I think that they're ready for it. You know, so your advocate doesn't have to be anyone even in product. Your mentor is similar to an advocate. It could just be somebody who's helping you figure out how you can grow. 
your coworker, your your confidant, like that's going to be the person that, you know, sometimes it's, you know, either venting to them. Sometimes it's, you know, just working through things like, how would you do this? How would you do that? So like I said, somebody could be all of those, but the chances of that are slim. And I, I think the reason that I said that was the, the best advice I could think of is, you know, it's going to start making you think of like, who can help you get to those, knock down those doors that might be there. If you can't get into that product role that you've been looking to, you, know, you might need to rethink about who it is you're looking to help you get there. That is a great bite and very relevant. I think now working in remote and collaboration and doing things online, it's really easy to forget about having to connect with people. And yeah, sometimes I have to remind myself too. <laughs> same. And I, you just kind of jolted me. I feel like I need to work on that as well. So thank you for sharing that. Sean, where can people go to find out more about you, your company, or is there anything you want to promote before we say bye? Sure. So if you were looking to find any of those Soundscapes products or iHeart CTV products that I was talking about, you can go to soundscapes.com. It will show you where you can install those on your TV. If you are sitting home on your Wi-Fi and you have your mobile, your iHeart mobile app, you can probably also find it through there, through that Visby technology I was talking about. And iHeart.com, you can stream on any desktop. Our mobile apps are in the Android and iOS store. And I would say something else more of a personal one, but if you want to go to personalsprints.subsec.com, you can find some of my writing on product management there. Awesome. And we'll include those links when we publish this podcast. But Sean, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great having a chat with you and learning more about what you do. Thank you, Mark. This is awesome. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. You can see all the show notes and details related to this episode at majesticapps.com.